This is Honest Math Chat, and I'm Mona Eel, interviewing Kelly Hogan today from Mathematically Enthused, as you may know her on Instagram. Kelly is a seasoned educator who's taught almost all of the elementary school grades and has recently stepped into an interesting position as a STEAM teacher. And today on the show, we're covering everything from concrete representations, math math manipulatives, and math mindset, all in order to engage your students more. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. This is Honest Math Chat, and I'm Mona Eel of Mona Math. I'm a former math avoider turned math teacher cheerleader, and I'm going to get real honest with you about math classroom culture, engagement, math discussions, and all the student-centered instructional practices to help you empower your students to love and understand math deeply. So every Monday on Honest Math Chat, we're going to work together to make our classrooms places where students see themselves as mathematicians. But let's not wait. If you're ready to engage every learner and get them pumped about math, you've got to use math discussions. I welcome you to download the guide to engaging math discussions right now. Go to monamath.com slash discussions. You'll get all my best tips on how to guide on the side while getting every child meaningfully engaged in discussing their math thinking. Okay, today on Honest Math Chat, we have an awesome teacher leader. Kelly and I met before she even knew I met her. I met her on her Instagram stories And she is the perfect person for Honest Math Chat because she's so honest and she's always putting out the real deal on our Instagram stories. And I I just was instantly drawn to her. And then (laughs) we worked together in kind of creating the Reignite Your Math Classroom kind of summer conference. And same thing. So authentic, so real. So I'm super excited to bring Kelly on today to talk to you all. So meet my friend Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Mona. I'm so happy to be here. Um, super excited. And I think I met you before we formally met too, because I was <laughs> definitely following you for a while. So um, I'm Kelly Hogan from Mathematically Enthused. It's my 14th year teaching. Um, it's actually my second year teaching in a special area STEAM classroom, which is kind of awesome. And I still get to teach math. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, my master's is super unique in New York state. We're required to have master's as teachers. So, um, now if you graduate, I think you only have about three years to get it. But when I graduated, I had an open-ended period of time to get my master's and I got mine in elementary math, science, and technology. So lots of integration of those three subjects through my master's. And I never dreamed I'd have the job I did now. And that was actually where I fell in love with math was getting my master's, which is crazy because I had already been teaching and actively teaching math for a long time. And I was self-described, not a math person at that point in my you know, life. Um, so I'm really passionate about continuing math education in my STEAM classroom and supporting my students in developing and utilizing those practical math skills like measurement and budgeting through integrating and centering them in our builds on our STEAM projects. I love it. Um, Okay, so you're obviously super qualified to teach STEAM. And I love that you said you weren't a math person because we all have our unique math story. You know, I'm always talking about that. So tell us a little bit about your classroom. Like, what is your math classroom or what is your STEAM classroom like? 
when I left the classroom, I had been teaching sixth grade and I kind of had to reframe how I teach math for STEAM, but ultimately the overall feeling is the same. I'm very big on growth mindset and neuroplasticity and all that great Carol Dweck research and Joe Bowler and mathematical mindsets. When I found that book, I was like, oh, this is what I've been trying to do for years. So if nobody's read mathematical mindsets, they must read it. Um, So it's overall growth mindset. um, And then that concrete representational abstract flow of learning for the students into and integrating with the engineering design process in STEAM or in STEM. So structure-wise, my classroom is virtually the same as it was as a math and gen ed teacher, where my students enter to some kind of instant activity like a do now or a bell ringer. And then I give about five to 10 minutes of direct instruction. It's really hard for me not to talk a lot because I am a natural extrovert, Um, but five to 10 minutes of direct instruction. And then my students go into practicing their skills hands-on through STEAM projects and STEAM builds. I do try when we're doing something that's particularly math and measurement heavy, I like to do some math and measurement centers so I can just kind of monitor and see where my students are at with their practical hands-on math skills. And then I use that to inform the instruction for the rest of the project. And it's been really eye-opening and really cool to see um, the way they're using math in a class that has a very different feel than when I was in the gen ed classroom. Yeah, you have such a unique opportunity to give students that real world application of math. And it sounds like that kind of all works into what you're hoping that they create anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. I just want to go back real quick. You talked about Dweck and growth mindset. And I feel like as teachers, we all know about that. Yay. But could you talk a little bit more about what you mean about the concrete representation? representational abstract, just in case anybody out there isn't sure what that means. Sure. So concrete representational abstract is honestly probably what we think of when we think of our younger learners, our kindergarten, first grade, second grade. Um, A lot of that kind of goes away as we get older, but the concrete is when you sit your students down with their manipulatives and they physically adjust to subtract. They take pieces away. They They put them back when they're adding. They move them into groups or arrays when you're teaching multiplication in third grade. All of those pieces, those concrete pieces, I've noticed as a teacher who has taught literally every grade except for second (laughs) um, in the classroom is that many teachers feel like after a certain point, the manipulatives have to go away and they remove that concrete piece. And I've learned not only for myself and for me falling in love with math, but for my students, that concrete piece, it doesn't matter. The age Mm -hmm. should still be there. I don't teach any high school mathematics and I don't think I ever will in my life, but I'm positive. There's a way to do everything with manipulatives from, you know, A to Z in math. So that concrete is having those manipulatives out, having something for our students to physically touch and physically handle um, and creating a physical response to the math before moving to we're taking out the whiteboards or we're taking out the paper. And that's your representational when you're still drawing pictures and you're drawing, drawing perhaps what the manipulatives might have looked like or what you Mm -hmm. might have done with them. And then the abstract is when you finally take it to maybe just that. you know, I have my feelings on homework, but maybe just that homework sheet with those three times five, write write the response as opposed to creating the response and seeing how it works. So your concrete is all your hands-on, your representational is pictorial or other um, 
non-physical representations of what your concrete was. And your abstract is what we all think of as traditional math and our standard algorithms. Mm -hmm. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. And I totally agree. I always talk about whenever you use or whenever you learn new content, you always go back to concrete. So when I'm like, when I moved to fifth and sixth grade math and I realized I didn't know how to actually divide fractions, like what context Mm -hmm. does that even actually happen? I had to go back to like straight up, okay, let me draw it out. Let me really think about like the casserole dish and I have a fourth and I need to cut it into thirds, you know, whatever. And Mm -hmm. so whenever we're relearning as adults or when children are reintroduced or newly introduced to a topic, they always go back to concrete. And when we cycle kids through the concrete and then representational and then abstract, we really can help students develop that that deep understanding or that conceptual understanding of math because we're supporting them all the way through. And I think often as teachers, we don't think we're doing our job unless we get students to abstract as quickly as possible. When really, Mm -hmm. if they stay in concrete and representational, like you were saying, like even if they're big and they're in concrete or representational stages and they're understanding it, that's still fine. Absolutely. And when we think about, just to piggyback on that, we think about concrete and as teachers, we're constantly thinking about and talking about student engagement. Concrete is built in student engagement. What kid doesn't want to play with something in school? I always like to give them like a minute up top to be like, do whatever you want with them. And then, then we'll do what we're going to do, or I'll finish with that also if they were like really engaged. But That's the built-in engagement piece to start with. And I think that's where we lose a lot of our upper elementary math students, especially when we get into those those fractional operations. Kids dread fractions on the whole because they're so frustrational because they don't understand the concrete of what's happening. We don't spend enough time on concrete fractions. And if we did, there's so much more engagement when kids can touch and handle things. And that's what creates those, you know... um, brain connections, those neuron connections to like, oh, a fraction is if I take these three equal pieces and, you know, move two to one side and one to the other, that it's so powerful, but it's so engaging too. And I think that it's almost automatic engagement. And I know some people are fearful when they take out manipulatives that their students will be a little silly with them or not handle them. But when it's part of the routine, It's just everything flows. Yes. And I feel like you're the perfect person to give some tips on this because in STEAM or in STEM class, like you have so many opportunities for kids to be using materials. And you're right. When we bring out the toys, right? I'm always like, Mm -hmm. they're they're tools, not toys. But Mm -hmm. you're right. They need a minute to play with them so that they can build that engagement. And then you can be like, all right, we're going to learn fractions now, right? Like, But can you give some tips for teachers on just like maybe some just quick management tips? Like you already gave us one. Let them play for a minute before you jump into the content. But what else should we do before we bust out the manipulatives to make sure that it's useful? So when I'm taking out any kind of manipulatives with my students, I love to turn on my document camera. I will always, whether I'm working with my sixth graders or my kindergartners, put those manipulatives underneath the doc cam. Um, what I'll do is start to work the manipulatives underneath the doc, doc cam and ask my students to tell me what they notice about what I'm doing with that manipulative. Um, so I use them without talking. 
and then have them give me feedback and we talk about how they're supposed to be used. So that works great with basically any material down to, I've done that with scissors. Modeling the skill, having them give feedback about what they noticed. And that's where I might add something and say, oh, did you notice how I moved them? Did you notice how I connected them? Did you notice how they all stayed on the table? You know, so (laughs) we talk about how, of course, if you drop it, you pick it up. Um, But then I also will model at that point in time, what cleanup looks like for it. And that's a big thing too, because for kids to just say, clean it up, if you want it a specific way, it has to be modeled for them and explicitly stated. So I'll model again without talking what cleanup looks like have them give me the feedback on what they notice. And then typically I'll put a picture of what that cleaned up manipulative looks like when we get to clean up. So here, this is what it looks like. This is how you put it away. So they have their visual cue that hopefully will activate that previous knowledge that we put underneath the document camera, just so that not only do they learn how to use the manipulative, but they learn how to care for the manipulative and what the expectations are around that manipulative. And that's how we avoid things like my student made dots on every single one of my base 10 blocks with their pencil. So things like that, if they're modeled and we talk about them and they become the norm, they really begin to kind of take care of themselves because I know manipulatives are a ton of work, um, but they're work that's worth it. And Mm -hmm. honestly, it's one of those things like the first days of school, when you first take them out every time, no matter what manipulative it is, the first time you take it out, it's a ton of work up front. But then as it returns and comes out another time, you can do a quick, okay, who can remind me what we do with this manipulative? What do we do with our pattern blocks? Okay. And the kids will give it to you. And that's where you can add anything that's missing and then Mm -hmm. let them have at it. But I think that modeling piece without speaking is super important because it puts the responsibility on them to learn how to use manipulatives and take care of them at the same time. That is so student-centered. I'm always talking about how can we make our classrooms more student-centered, amplify their voices. When you say you model how to use the manipulative without your voice, and then students tell you what they notice, I feel like that is an opportunity for them to really own it. Like, you guys created these norms for the base 10 blocks. So yeah, let's do what you said, you know, and not in a phony way, but in a way of like, yep, sounds good. Also, we're not going to throw them or whatever, you know, if Mm -hmm. that was a problem in the past. But like, I love it that it's their language. And So you said model without your voice and have them really name the expectations, which is like making those expectations clear. And then I think what you really were saying, too, was like make time for it, because Mm -hmm. often we're like, no, we got to get through, you know, page 90, 91, 92 and 93. And it's like, well, if we get through 91 and 92 because we spent 30 minutes getting out the manipulative, using them and putting them away, that's time invested in not only their understanding, but in the next time we use the manipulative. And I think when you spend that time to teach students what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it looks like to put it away, all those things, then they can start to become more independent, right? Like Mm -hmm. by the time you're taking it out two or three weeks down the road, they're just doing it. And Mm -hmm. you're just giving those shout outs for like, yep, Table two's got it. Here we go. Table three's looking good. Like, and then it really just runs itself. We we feel so pressured as math teachers to do what the teacher next door is doing because we're planning as a grade level and we're trying to make sure we're moving through the same thing as at the same time. Or, but at the end of the day, 
I know, you know, everyone else knows whether or not your students are understanding if they've done one problem abstractly. Mm-hmm. So if they do only problem 90 on that page, it's just as powerful as doing, or actually I think it's more powerful than doing like 90 to a hundred because that one problem will tell you where the base level of misunderstanding is after you've used that concrete material. Cause that is also giving you formative feedback too. Absolutely. And that's the thing I think people miss out on when they think about the concrete part and the manipulatives is that is also formative assessment. So if you feel like you're not quote unquote doing anything because you don't have something on paper, you still have that opportunity to monitor and formatively. I used to walk around with like a clipboard in front of me and I would do a check for gets it a plus for like gets it could probably teach it. And then like a little minus for somebody I knew I would have to revisit the next day. Anytime I'm using something that's formative, just so that I have something that if my admin came to me, if a math support person came to me, I could say like, hey, this is what we were doing. And they really struggled with this piece or nope, that student's great on that. And I could have them model it for you. So great tip. I'm interrupting to say pause, (laughs) friends, and take that tip. Oh, man. What if you did it with just like tables or groups of kids who are like even just using the manipulative properly? first. And then you can Mm -hmm. move on to like, yeah, they can model a three digit number with base 10 blocks, or they can show regrouping with base 10 blocks and use those little symbols you just discussed to mark down where kids are at. I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. Mm -hmm. But let's get to this idea. Like we talked about first, like manipulatives are what engage students, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're constantly coming up against a problem in math of like, Kids aren't engaged. Kids come in with like, I'm not good at math or whatever their their math story is. I am a former math avoider, as I call myself. You said you mm-hmm. started out not a math person. So yep. I really do think as well, like we're up against all these challenges from, you know, student mindset, but also like you just spoke about the teacher next door or the pacing guide or the admin or the math support specialist or whatever, like all these people all this pressure. And really, we have to make these decisions for our students and try to move them forward. So I think that's done best when you have a vision for like, what is my priority in my math class? So do you have a vision for your math class? And how does that, what does that look like for you? So yes, um, ideally, I would love all students to love math when they come through the door. But obviously, with my years of experience, my personal experience, I actually describe myself as a reformed math struggler, which is very similar to what you say. (laughs) Um, So I know I can't make all of my students love math. I know that not everyone's going to love math the same way. Not everyone's going to love science or social studies or English or Spanish or whatever you're taking. Um, But what I want them to do is break down some of their biases about math and especially those students that walk in the door with a bad at math mindset, mostly because I was that student from seventh grade through to my graduate years, which is crazy because that was over 20 years and about seven of those I was actively teaching math. Um, I just want to empower my students with those valuable hands-on experiences, like we talked about with the concrete piece that open their eyes, not only to why math is important, but how if you practice math skills and embrace the growth mindset piece, you can begin to appreciate it even if you don't end up loving it the same way I do. Like we were working on, it's a great example. Uh, I I run a coding and robotics club and we were working on a challenge with one of our robots with my sixth graders. And we were actually talking about, we were programming our robots to communicate messages to other robots. But it was 
uh, framed through the lens of spreading a virus, right? So really timely and stuff about how if the robots get too close to other robots, they can spread a virus, but that that comes from the field of study of epidemiology. So I was talking to my fifth and sixth graders about what epidemiologists do and, and why their stuff is important. And one of my sixth graders was like, wow, can you imagine how much math that must be? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of math and it's a really important job, but just to be able to connect to that, like, Hey, these are what, these are what these specialists, these specialist scientists do for him to make that connection and go, Oh, wow. There's like a lot of math in that, you know, like that yes. is important for them to see the math that's there and not just see these jobs they want to do that they're older, that they feel like they're quote unquote escaping math. Mm-hmm. Like all these kids that want to be content creators. Oh, I want to be on YouTube. I want to have this. Yeah. There's a ton of math in that. You have to be checking data all the time. Like, so I just want them to start to kind of open their eyes to how much math is actually around them. Cause I always say there's like, you know, the math that's in your face, but then there's all the, I don't want to use the word invisible, but like the covert math, right? There's sure. so much of it all, all around us that we don't see. So I try to get them to pull out where the math is in things so that at least they can appreciate the value of math so that we decrease that. What are we doing this for question, which is like the worst question anyone can ask a math teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. But don't you feel like the jobs that students most likely are going to choose or the ones that other people are talking to kids about having. It's like, well, if you're good at math or you like math, be a doctor. If you're not so great at math, be a lawyer, right? Like, and it's, I just feel like it's always separated. And I remember Mm -hmm. that, like being told as a child, like you're good at talking, you're good at reading, you're good at writing, you're good at expressing yourself. These are the kinds of jobs for you. Mm-hmm. But really, I do have a math brain. But like you said, from like fourth grade until college, I, I didn't know that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, what do you think about that? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, very big. Honestly, it, I mean, it's a big question, but I it's dangerous. Like, I really think it's dangerous when we talk about um, and this is going to kind of sound like it's going to left field, but it's not. But when we talk about um biases in cultural bias. So, right. All these math problems are largely written by a bunch of old white dudes sitting in a room writing math problems. So we're lacking all this representation in math. If we don't put it there ourselves, that aside from the fact that it's dangerous for someone like you or I, yes, that's dangerous for females to say to them, well, you're probably not good at math. So these are probably careers you should do pigeonholing our kids by their ability is crazy. Number one, number two, we need to make sure that our kids who might feel like they're bad at math because of something cultural, know that they can also be huge, huge, impactful math people in the world, like our Catherine Johnson's and, or people like that, that have been so powerful and impactful. When you start to say to somebody you're bad at math right now, uh, that's a problem. It's a problem when we say that if we're not doing math fast, then we must be bad at math also. So I, I just think it's so, 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 so dangerous to kind of feed to our kids like, Hey, this could be a good career for you. Like you talk about being student centered. I think so much of it has to be about what do you want to do? And then where's the math in that? Yes. And like you talked about, like, 
oh, we can take robots and talk about epidemiology. And Mm -hmm. students are already making those math connections, which tells me that that is part of your classroom culture, where you are always talking about these connections to, you know, math and science and all these things. And these can these connections can be unearthed in our problems. Like even the problems from your book, if we just slow down and we say, oh, this is a problem about planning a party. Huh. Math is planning a party, you know, like Mm -hmm. calculating the number of cups in a pack and whatever. And so just helping unearth those connections to real life is so key. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's so I do an activity in STEAM in the beginning of the year where I would give them just like a basic object, some kind of object, like some of the things were like an oriental trading toy, like one of the little like walking toys you And then I gave them like a pencil and the third thing was like some kind of notebook and said like they had to break it down and for each product decide where the science was, the technology, then the engineering, the art and the math in it. And I think that was a really cool experience in the beginning of the year because all three items, they were able to create math out of it where like, I don't think they've ever spent time thinking about before, like, why is there math in a pencil? Like, what's the math in creating a pencil? So, um... I think that was a really powerful experience for us at the beginning of the year that like, hey, math, math is not the bad part of STEAM, right? Like it's still a fun part of STEAM. We just have to reframe how we think about it. Yeah, it's all about that reframe. And schools that are so lucky to have a STEAM program have so many opportunities to help kids see math in ways that are like fun. And, you know, but I think what we talked about here today with like having manipulatives out and using them to fully understand the math can really build that engagement with students and help shift their mindset to say, oh, I do understand this because when I use the manipulative, it's not a bad thing. It's an expectation. Everyone in my class uses manipulatives. This is what we do. And it really can start to rewrite some of that maybe um, I'm bad at math mindset that Mm -hmm. kids have because I'm not fast. I can't just count in my head or do it, you know, on paper with an algorithm, Mm -hmm. but I can use the manipulative and I can get the answer. And yeah, I'm good at math. Mm -hmm. And well, and the fact of the matter is when we think about when our current kindergarten graduates from high school or college, they are going to do like 75% of the jobs they're going to do are not currently around or something to that effect. I forget the exact statistic. Those jobs that they're about to do don't necessarily look like the jobs we have now, but there's definitely still going to be a lot of math in them because a lot of it is going to be computer driven and sitting at a computer and problem solving. And I really think the value of even just knowing how to problem solve from math is a life skill. So Mm -hmm. if we can't problem solve in math and we can't feel like if we persist, we can do it. Problem solving is an everybody's skill. And it definitely is a big part of math that I think we kind of lose the focus on when we're worried about our curriculum and what page we're on and what our neighbor's doing and what the admin wants and all these other things that we have to consider as teachers that no one outside of teaching fully understands that we lose that like at its core, math is problem solving and it should be an experience. Yes, 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 yes. Because That is how we teach students growth mindset. That is how we teach students math is that they have to do it. You have to do math to learn math. And so Mm -hmm. all of those skills 
can be taught and should be taught in our math class. I love it so much. Thank you, Kelly. This has been so great. Tell everyone where they can find you on social media and on the internet. So on social media, it's super easy. I am mathematically enthused on TikTok and on Instagram. I'm definitely more interactive on Instagram. Um, And I am also reachable by email at the same thing, mathematically enthused at gmail.com, but I am there and I'm easily reachable. So I'd love to hear from anybody that wants to chat math a little bit. Yes. Math is for everyone. Kelly made this awesome sticker during the pandemic where it said math is for everyone. And I just love it. One of my friends gifted it to me during the pandemic. And so go find Kelly and talk to her about her ideas for how to make math for everyone and math in every classroom. So thank you so much, Kelly. Thanks for having me.